Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. On this episode, I'm sitting down with my dad and we sit down and discuss our experiences and outlooks of hunting through the eyes of two different generations. All right, happy new year, everyone. It is 2022. So hopefully we can start out this new year on the right foot. Now it's the end of the 2021 deer season, which is always kind of bittersweet for me. You know, it's nice to you not have to think about trying to grind out the rest of the hunting season now that it's over, but I am going to kind of miss it in the same sense as well. But I'm not too sad about it because I'm already looking forward to this upcoming deer season. And the and the last season has barely ended. So, But, you know, with the new year, we've got some new endeavors. You know, certainly in the outdoor world, we've got small game season, which I'm going to take full advantage of. As well as uh, before too long, you know, all the lakes are going to be froze over and it's going to be time for ice fishing and both of my uh, little girls are very eager to get out and do some more fishing out on the hard water. And then first mentioned, you know, talking about going ice fishing with the girls and they were both are very excited about that. So we got to get to the store and get some fishing gear for them. And that way we can go out and uh, try to do some fishing this winter. So, but on this episode, I'm joined by my dad, the man, the myth, the legend himself, uh, as uh basically it's kind of overdue of sitting down with him and basically just talking hunting with him you know he was probably the most influential person that got me into the hunting and fishing world uh you know he's always been very encouraging of whatever endeavors it was so if it was came down to fishing or hunting or um, even career-wise and stuff like that he's always that guy that you know always wants to push you along and aid you in whatever you're doing really so i remember as a kid uh, when I first got into fishing and he bought me my first fishing rod and my own fishing lures and whatnot and I really got into bass fishing you know I remember this was one of the first things he really did was always help to try to push me to uh, try new things when it came to fishing and experience new things and push me to you know try doing some tournaments and he actually arranged for me to go out and we basically uh, chartered a professional bass fisherman to take us out and kind of show me the ropes and kind of what you know how he does things and what you know bass fishing professionally was kind of all about and you know, what they do so and he's even you know he's still that way where you know even with me taking on uh doing a podcast where you know he's always calling me with ideas of topics to talk about or questions i should be asking or uh, really just trying to dive into it with me with you know, topic ideas and things to explore and to learn essentially. So again, it was nice to be able to finally sit him down and do a recording with him and in that regard. So, so this conversation did run quite, quite a bit long. I mean, we hit the two hour mark and we probably just could have kept talking, but we had to actually stop and get some lunch and stuff like that. So I am going to break this up into two sections um, or two different episodes essentially. So just make it a little bit easier for listening. So this first point, basically, basically going through uh, his most recent buck that he got this year, as well as in diving into his history of hunting and his outlook of what hunting was like in the past and 
No, and before I wrap this up, um, you will notice that there is some uh, audio issues on my end uh, initially on my dad's uh, mic. So you will notice that I did have to um, make some tweaks with the audio to, so you can be able to hear them properly. Um, but with it doing that, you'll hear me uh, a little bit in the background, a little bit longer, stronger. Basically, what ended up happening was I had forgotten to turn his microphone on when talking. So I could hear him in my headphones, but it wasn't recording him. But fortunately, he was talking loud enough to where my microphone was picking him up and I was able to make do so you don't miss out on the front of that story. But the audio does sound a little a little bad at first, uh, but after the first couple of minutes, when I realized what I'd done, uh, then it clears up. So with that, let's dive into it. Let's tell the story from your book this year. And then I want to go back and just kind of walk it back from this year to... I don't know, back from when, I don't know, kind of how hunting was back in the day, essentially, and how things are different, if they've gotten better, worse, and kind of your perspective in that regard. But let's start with this year. <laughs> I hate to uh, talk about this hunt because that was a foolish mistake on my part. But uh, I had seen this buck the Saturday before opening. You've seen it. Yep. I'm pretty sure that was the same eight point crossing the field, but he was at 200 and some yards away. So, oh, would not, you know, I didn't even think about it. I just watched him. Yeah, because he was definitely on a hot trail. Because he was focused and he was just heading toward that doe wherever she was. So I said to myself, well, if I, you do that again on opening day, I see you, you're going to be hanging from a rack. <laughs> but uh, so um, opening morning, it was kind of foggy, and I looked through my scope, and it looked a little funny. I'm thinking, well, man, I don't know. I I hope it's just the foggy, rainy kind of damp weather that's caused my scope to look weird. And um, didn't see anything uh, opening morning, so we were on the farm again that evening, and I seen a small buck. He was coming from the south, and I could tell he just uh, immature, five point, maybe a six point. So I just watched him. I put a scope on him, and I knew I was in trouble then. So he walked over to the east fence line and started eating. And I picked up my binoculars, and I was watching him. Put on the put the scope on him. No good. It wasn't gonna work. But he was over there, and I was gonna shoot him anyway. So that was okay. So. For about 20 minutes, I looked up there again, and there's another deer. I'm thinking, oh, there's a big doe with him. And I put the binoculars on him, and like, oh, oh that's a nice buck. Put my scope on him, like, ain't no way I can shoot. I'm going to shoot 280 yards and hit a deer that far with this scope. So, but the wind, was, I was using Conquest uh, BS1, the doe and heat. And the wind circled around and started coming out of the west. And after a while, that buck picked up his head because it was getting getting late. It's almost dark. And he just like on a string, here he come. He stopped about 100 and about 100 yards maybe, maybe a little less. Yeah, and he probably was pretty close to that. About, yeah, 100 yards. And he stopped. He was looking for that doe. 
that he smelled. So I figured, well, I'm going to take a shot, straight on shot. Don't like to take a straight on shot, but I've done it before. So it was like looking through your shower door when you're taking a hot shower. That's what I seen. So I just put it on the darkest spot in the scope, squeeze the trigger, and I missed. And I'm figuring that that deer's going to jump down into the creek bottom and be gone. But instead, he started running for the woods behind me, and I grunted, and he stopped about 50 yards, 45 yards from where I was. Um, I think it was a little bit further than that. It I think be. it was closer to, I don't know. 65 yards, maybe? 65, 70, somewhere in there, yeah, probably. Yeah. So I put the scope on him again, did my best windage and elevation thing, <laughs> and I squeezed the trigger, and the buck went down. So... Yeah, that that was really interesting too because I was sitting down in the bottom field, so and I I had deer in front of me, so I was dealing with my own situation. But but yeah, so that scope made it very difficult on that low light situation because it fogged everything up and you lost some of that detail where you're already struggling in that low light to pick up detail as it is. So yeah, uh, definitely a. Uh, fortunate that that buck decided to run the direction he did because he had to take what three three steps and he would have been into the creek bottom if he had turned oh yeah yeah if he had turned it the hunt would be over yeah yeah, yeah. so he made that fatal mistake of staying in the open yeah and, he was and uh, actually stopping yeah for you so yeah that was but he was a really good buck and yeah he made that he made a few mistakes that led to his demise yeah, and I think it was running into the wind, right? To pick up the danger. Yeah, he he picked he picked that direction that he knew was still safe. Yeah, yeah. That or he thought maybe he was going to catch up that doe still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how how far I missed him on the straight front end shot, I don't know. But I didn't see I didn't see any other wound marks where I grazed him, and I don't think he would have run the direction he would have run if I'd have grazed him. So I missed him. Like I said, I've taken that shot before on on bucks. That when I grunt instead of stopping sideways, they turn and look my direction. Yeah. But if I put it on the base of the neck and squeeze the trigger, you either miss them clean or you they drop them right there. So. Yeah. Which, I kind of ran the same situation when I shot that doe with the muzzleloader. Because she was facing me, and you know, I was hoping that at some point she was going to turn sideways, but she never did. So I took, she was quartering two. Like I could see her front shoulder. She opened up her side a little bit, and I just put it on that front shoulder and hoped for the best. But I ended up hitting left of the shoulder. Yeah. Well, you're left handed. People that left handed usually shoot a little to the left. I'm right handed. I shoot a little bit to the right. Yeah. So when I shoot a deer that's broadside, I put it right on his shoulder because when I squeeze the trigger, it's going to be right behind the shoulder. Yeah. I'm going to go to the right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It just, just the way humans, (laughs) (laughs) just the way the humans are, that's what happens. Yeah. Unless you're a professional shooter, you don't do that. But most people, that's what happens. Yeah. That's why, because I remember you've told, you've talked to me about that too, that you know, it's not necessarily as easy as just picking up a rifle that's been zeroed for someone because that's rifle or that's zeroed to them. Right. And their tendency. So 
I mean, granted, it'll probably be in the ballpark, but, you know, they may be dead on, but you might be, you know, high into the right a little bit yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. So that, yeah, you bring up a good point on that one. Yeah. So that was that hunt. And then you basically haven't really hunted that much since. You did a few hunts when I was gone. Right. Right. I don't know. The last, the last, I can't remember last, the last deer I shot, I shot two, two bucks on the farm. Yeah. Um, 45 minutes apart. Is that the one where they're both on the east fence line? Yeah. They both come from the <laughs> east. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's one I shot. The first one stopped and was facing me and I shot that buck about 150 yards the other one did stop broadside, and I shot him maybe, I don't know, 120. And those were the last ones you shot down at the farm? Yeah, those was the last. Until the one I shot Saturday, that's the uh, last last bucks I shot. How long ago was that? I think it was like five years. Yeah, but I let you and Giovanni and yeah. everybody else shoot. I want you you guys to shoot the deer. Yeah, since us kids uh, really got into hunting, I mean, you were... You played guide. <laughs> yeah, that, basically. Then that, that, you're the always the walker on the drives. Yeah. But, I mean, you've got the most experience, so you're the best at being able to get on those deer and push them the way you want them. Yeah, you got to push deer slow. Yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of people that do, like, the hooting and hollering in the woods and banging on stuff. and That's... No. Yeah. I've learned a little bit about that, um, you know, reading about tracking deer and catching up with them and stuff like that. And I was listening to, uh, well, it was a, a podcast with um, Hal Blood, and he was saying that, like, yeah. Yeah, if he'll bump a deer, he's like, his his thing is, like, it's the sandwich break time. Isn't, isn't uh, Blood, isn't that the guy up in Maine? Yep. 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 Yeah, it's really interesting because I was also listening to another group of guys that they're from Vermont. And they're like, yeah, it's like us, us guys up here in the Northeast, like that's the way to hunt. Like, yeah, the best, like most people like here in Michigan, we do our deer blinds and one eye's like, yeah, he's like, that's, that's the, that's the minority around here. He's like, yeah, most everyone tracks down deer Yeah, and or, or just drives. Yep. But yeah, but yeah, his thing was like, yeah, if you bump a buck, he's like, just wait him out. Because more times, unless he smelt you, he's going to jump up and then wait and look back, see if something's chasing him still. Yeah. Cause most, most people don't realize deer don't run that far. They can run quick, but they don't run far. Yeah. They typically don't like to, yeah. 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 But those bloods have been doing it for years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's how you, you know, you, you want to walk, stop, walk, stop. Because if there's a buck, you stop, he thinks you see him. Mm -hmm. If you keep walking, he'll lay right there. Oh, yeah. I, I learned that down at the farm. Um, it was a few years ago. I, I think I probably told you a story about how it was like the day before opening. I was bow hunting down at the farm, and I filled up the, uh, the um, feeder. And I came back to where the two-track was where I laid my bow down, and I stopped, picked up my stuff, and that's where he busted out. Yeah, yeah. After I'd walked past him the first time, yeah. and then I came back. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, by me lingering there, it made him nervous enough, it jumped up. Yeah. Or 
trying to think what the wind was doing then. Yeah. Because unless he was asleep when I walked past him the first time and then yeah. woke up after, because it was in the middle of the day, but I don't know. I think that he saw me walk by the first time and just let me walk. Yeah. And then when he came back, it made him, made him nervous. Yep. But yeah, so yeah, so that, now let's jump into, because that was one of the things that's always really interested me is hearing, hearing the old hunting stories, basically. And I'm always curious if, you know, how, it, how much different it was then than it is now, you think? Well, we definitely have bigger deer um, than we had when I started hunting because then if it had horns, it got shot. Yeah. Now, has it? And we didn't have a lot of deer back then because we had a lot more hunters. And like I said, when it had horns, it got shot. Yeah. But a lot of the bigger, mature bucks never got killed. There were big bucks, but a lot of people didn't know how to hunt them. Right. So with the, I mean, has it always been like that then in Michigan then? Just there's a good amount of deer, just not very, not very, very many big ones, you think? Or, or did that kind of come in phase at a certain time? Um, we have, I would think we have more mature bucks because of the point restrictions a lot of the younger bucks are maturing to to you know yep maturing yep you have the let a few of them walk and yeah they're the higher percentage of them are and making to that older age class yep. yeah and we had a lot more hunters back then everybody hunted schools closes business closed. Oh, oh yeah yeah i remember that yeah i was still going through school when uh they basically kind of transitioned out of closing school on opening day so yeah i grew up partly when it would close yeah and then when they stopped doing it so yeah that was an interesting transition so there was a lot of mature, immature bucks they got a year and a half old buck yeah. that got that got killed yeah now we're now were a lot of people shooting does back then too or was it mostly just some people did most because the people who knew how to hunt bucks wouldn't shoot does because if you shoot the doe the buck is going to turn and go the other way <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we can talk about that then too, is, uh, how big of a, how big of a group of the hunters that were out there were bow hunters as well? Very few. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, people didn't bow hunt. They just didn't do it. A few of us did, but yeah, which now there's, I mean, it's still, it's still relatively low percentage of the hunters out there. But there's still there's a lot more of us bow hunting now than than years past for sure. Oh yeah, and it's more lethal now with the equipment. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's been yeah. a lot more e a lot easier, which is really interesting because even just in my time of bow hunting and really focusing on it, there's been there's a new switch that's going along where because the bows, um, you know, basically in the 2000s or the early 2000s especially, bows are getting faster and faster and faster, and the big push was speed. But now there's a, another kind of change in the outlook where um, there's a bigger push for going back to the heavier arrow setups. And um, there's even a few that are going with more of like a two blade, you know, setup that the main push now is for penetration. Mm -hmm. And that's growing. And then now it's kind of swinging back to kind of a, I think a little bit more of a in between where 
you know, people aren't using the big massive, you know, fit, uh, mechanical blades anymore. That right. See, I, w- I was looking at b- broadheads the other day, and I, 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 I just wouldn't wouldn't use a mechanical broadhead. I want a fixed three bladed fixed four four blade would be better because yeah. uh, just a two blade heals up can heal up really quick. Yeah. And if you make a bad shot, where a three blade or four blade causes a, a cut that bleeds better than a two blade. Yep. Of course, then the other thing that you can look into too is with uh, a big a big thing that a lot of guys are doing now is going with a single bevel broadhead. And what that does is actually it helps rotate the the arrow through the deer. And when you look at the cut, like when they people shoot it through other material too, it creates like a, a S shape. Yeah. So that's really interesting too how they've how kind of going backwards into the technology a little bit is showing that some of these people knew what they were doing <laughs> back in the day even. Yeah, because yeah, I like this year I I use a two blade, which I haven't arrowed a deer with it yet, but but yeah, I think I'm gonna go back to the three blade I had. Yeah, when I started bow hunting, I used a bear recurve. He had bear blades, wasp, and satellite. That was surely three choices. Yeah. Wasp was back wasp was around back then? Yeah, was I think wasp, satellite, and the bear uh, Fred Bear's um, head was about the only thing that was out there, huh? One out there. Yeah. And when the compound come out, everybody bow hunters went, whoa. Yeah. yeah. This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody yep. dropped their recurves and started buying uh, compounds. Yep. Yep. And that's, I'm sure the same thing happened then, too, when they started seeing the mechanicals. Because, yeah, it seemed like everyone was shooting mechanicals. Yeah. At the same time, then people started going back to the to the reliables. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I could see that I haven't shot mechanicals. I can see that you can have success, but the risk of something going wrong with them is higher yeah. than with a fixed blade. So yeah, I've gone back to fixed blade. That is interesting though. That, but like I know when back in the day when I first started hunting. And everybody, you'd see all this orange because then they made the law that you had to wear hunter's orange. So I would laugh at people that would start wearing hunter's orange in October. And by the time November 15th come around, they smelled like everything in the world. Yeah. It's like, what are you guys doing wearing your hunter orange around every day of the gas station in your house smoking? <laughs> I mean, they didn't realize until, you know, a lot of information. Uh, with the advent of trail cameras, they realized they under, start understanding the habits of the whitetail. Yeah. Yeah. And start realizing that the type of deer that were around that they never saw. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Like, when, where are these? You know, where are these been? Well, they've been around, but they're not, they go nocturnal. They stay nocturnal until the rut, you know, and a few people would kill some big bucks because there were a lot of hunters and, you know, you got to do everything right. And then the bucks got to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what a lot of like the, a lot of the more consistent big buck hunters will tell you is that, yeah, like for consistency, like you can't, you can't be making mistakes No, and, or either you can't make mistakes or you get so aggressive that 
you're swinging for the fences every time you go out. Yeah. And if you miss them that time, then you go out and just keep pushing the envelope on them. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that that's really interesting too with, because I mean, we even experienced that on the farm. I mean, that first year I really ran cameras. We had some, we saw, we had pictures of some big deer. Yeah. Um, that honestly, I didn't even knew existed <laughs> in this area. Yeah. You can get down a big rabbit hole though of going down all the things that you need to do to like scent control. Cause like here, maybe not so much on the rifle side, but when you're talking bow hunting, like you can get pretty, pretty off in the deep end of how much you do for scent control. Whereas out like out West, a lot of times the only thing they're really worried about is wind direction. Yeah. As long as you're not downwind of them, then they can't smell you type of deal. Yeah. But of course they're not really doing the ambush hunting like we are doing here in the Midwest where you're sitting in one spot Yeah. and having the deer come to you. I personally don't with the scent control because they smell me all the time year round. So this way I, I think a deer, a buck will go crosswind or into the wind. A lot of people want the wind coming to their face. I want the wind going away from me. Yeah. Yeah. Because the deer smell me all the time. I'm down there all the time. You're down there all the time. They smell humans all the time. They're yeah. in people's yard. They smell humans. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that they can recognize uh, a bit of a difference when they smell you at a time of day that they're not used to smelling you or if you're in an area where they normally don't smell you. Right. But I'm all over the farm. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because that, uh, wind, that wind was blowing right toward that buck and he was stopped looking for that dope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they smell me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, I forget his name, a guy that hunts out and, out in Washington DC or not Washington, yeah, Washington DC in the suburbs. He's like, yeah, he's like, you can hunt, you can hunt them just because they're so used to people. But if you break a, a certain level or go into their bubble, then they spook just like any other whitetail would. Yeah. He's like, so you got to hunt that fringe of, he's like, the deer are used to people being in their yards or down the trails. He's like, but if you break off of that, if you're in the woods or in an area where they don't normally smell you, then they know something's up. So it is, uh, yeah. yeah. That's I don't know. I could be wrong, but they no, smell me all the time. No, you're probably right in that regard because I mean that's like when like why why do deer not spook usually when they see the tractor coming? Yeah, or something like that. Like some might, but a lot of times, like they might even come back out in the field with that tractor, you know, combine the the corn or you know cutting the hay or something like that. So it is they can get yeah acclimated or their tolerance level to a certain activity. Just like that one night I was hunting the back field. There was a, that little doe was in there. It was getting late. I was like, I just, uh, I hope she goes. I don't want to spook her out of here. I want her blowing out of here. So uh, she sat there and I talked to her. She just stood there. Well, when I stand up, she'll run. She didn't run. I put up the, the doors on the blind, looked out the other door, still standing there. Well, closed up the blind, walked around the blind. She's still there. Like, <laughs> and she was only like, 40 feet away <laughs> and she yeah. finally tried it off she didn't blow and run she just tried it off yeah. and one buck i was hunting in the backfield i parked my car up in the top field <laughs> yeah and this, I, is I, a, I this is a great story <laughs> I, you know i had used comquest um i use comquest because it's a michigan-based product comes from the urine and the scents come from 
Michigan deer. Michigan deer eat Michigan food. Uh, if you buy some of the other products, I know there's one that's made in Minnesota. Minnesota deer doesn't eat like what Michigan deer. One's made in Arkansas or someplace. Arkansas deer don't eat what Michigan deer, so the urine and body smells are different than, and it a fool, I've, I've killed uh, young bucks using the other products, but I think the older bucks, they smell a rat in Denmark. It doesn't smell like <laughs> like the doe should smell. And I think when you're hunting a big mature buck, that makes a difference. Yeah. I'm, but sure, it, I'm sure it does. Anyway, yeah. back to the story. I hunted in the bottom field, didn't see anything. I was bow hunting, walked up the hill, just seeing my, my vehicle, and I seen this deer head. Like, there's a deer right next to my car. Because I'd put some ComQuest on, and on my booth and right there at the car and I walked down through the two track across the trail back you know so I just kind of bent down and stuck up there and like oh it's a buck well he was too small I wasn't gonna he was like a five point or something four point so I just stood up and he, we were like 20 feet apart and he was still looking at me <laughs> and then he just crowded away he didn't blow and run he just crowded away so yeah but that's why I think that ComQuest is a better product because we're hunting in Michigan and yep. you've seen for yourself that they the Evercom and the VS1 um, it does it does and I I've watched hunting shows and these guys are you know putting Evercom on the trees they're standing on so mm -hmm. it's a it's a good product yeah the Evercom I mean. Yeah, in regards to like a scent product, like I think, I think it's one of the best I've used for sure, because it's most definitely one of the most versatile scents that I've used. Where you can use it all season long, you can use it just to, you know, kind of bring deer into, as well as a cover scent. Where even if they smell you, that Evercom like confuses them somehow. Where they like they know there's danger, but they also smell. Like there's other deer around and they, like <laughs> and nobody they, running and yeah they can't no. figure it out because yeah there's running. two times where they most one she saw me in the tree so she saw like she saw me moving and had me pegged still she didn't bust out of there and the other deer that she was with were looking at her like she was crazy freaking out and then the other time doe came right down wind blew ran off 20 yards came back Blew again, ran, ran away, came back, and it just it messes with their senses. Like they'll still smell you, but it keeps them in the area to where you yeah, need it, it to. It does. It does something where they're not totally freaked out. Yep. Yeah, and even the one that down the farm, the fawn that was there, she laid down, 15 yards below the tree, just oh okay, just chilling out. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, cameras did a lot for big buck hunting. Yeah. Yeah, but now there's a discussion too in some of the hunting circles where the cameras are hindering hunters now, though too. For one, it they're getting pictures of certain bucks and they're holding out on that one buck, and then they're ended up not getting any deer, or they're using utilizing the cameras in 
only hunting where those cameras are or only thinking about the intel that the camera gives them and not the bigger picture to where, you know, there's times where like guys will say that, you know, they'll put up like a camera and then a camera on top of the camera or, you know, looking at that camera and some of these more shy deer are walking around cameras oh. once they've gotten caught, don't like it. And they start avoiding those camera areas. Yeah. They get a re- hunters got to realize just cause that deer is there then doesn't mean during hunting hour that deer's going to be there. He might be two miles away. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing that, you know, learning with the cameras, like mostly the cameras for me is learning, um, like annual patterns, kind of like what we're, what I've learned this year is, is that a lot of the bigger bucks that we get on the farm are on the second week of November, not the first where you would think, but I get the most daylight pictures of the, our biggest bucks we get that second week. So that seventh through the 11th, maybe all the way up to the 14th. That's when most of the big boys show up and are on the farm during daylight. Yeah. 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 But then now there's the other change too, with all the cell cameras now where you get the pictures almost immediately. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's actually some talk about that, not in our state, but there's been laws even implemented about trail cameras just because of the, how quickly you get the information from them. I think it's Arizona. I think it is. Yeah. Where they ban trail camera use. Yeah. So there's definitely some, I guess not ethical questions, but like yeah. bear chase type questions bear that Jerry. are being yeah. brought up about being able to be sitting on the couch, get a picture of a deer, then run out and go shoot them. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah before that there was Vernon Bailey, a friend of mine, used to tell me stuff back in the early 70s before they had been at 60s and 70s he understood uh, the habitat and the mindset of a big buck when nobody else did yeah so some big box you'll see some big box and then they'll disappear for two years and then the big buck he'll come for whatever reason he comes back yeah that he taught me a lot about hunting yeah oh I, even now, I think back, like, all the times I'd be sitting down there when he'd stop by and telling his stories and talking about the bucks that he'd be <laughs> going after. And now I'm just like, gosh. Like, yeah, just, I don't know. His woodsmanship was second to none. Like, yeah, he knew, he knew, like, and like you said, like, he could pick up on a track. He'd track it, hit, hit a property line he couldn't go through. He'd go around that property line. And find that find that same buck again, and just continue on him. So just knowing that where a deer was going, why he was going there, and where he'd probably be. Right, right. That's yeah. That's that's just yeah. That's just being out there and doing it so much that you understand all that. Yeah, most people can't track a wounded deer a hundred yards, let alone a healthy mature buck. Yeah. He just, uh, yep. Yo, and that's part of the reason why too. I'm trying to do more tracking type hunting. Because yeah. you learn a ton. Like the time I went out a couple of weeks ago, I was able to basically scout out a whole new property and basically have two new stand locations just because of all the sign I found and 
following the tracks, knowing like, oh, this is this is where the deer come through. Yeah. Like this pitch this pitch point they use, not this one. Yeah, and if you get enough snow, you can definitely tell the the way the buck walks and when the doe walk. You know, yeah. is this a big doe or is this a buck? Yeah. Just you know, if you get enough snow, you can tell a buck will drag his feet where a doe will pick up her feet yeah. until the snow gets so deep that even does drag their feet. But yeah. What's up, kiddos? All right. No. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time burning. It's October. I said, Vernon, how you doing? Ah, he said, I'm down the valley, right down by our house. He said, a big mature A point. He said, I think there's two of them. Like, cool. So it was about December, running to Vernon. Vernon, you ever get that A point? He goes, yeah, I got both of them. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, what, you got both of them? He goes, yeah, I shot both of them. Oh. Yeah. One he tracked from the valley to 669. That's what? Five miles? At least. The way you drive. The way that yeah, a deer walk. that's five miles straight line, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've, He was uh, amazing. Best tracker I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give it a shot tomorrow. I've got, I've mapped out kind of where I want to go, and that's five miles I'm going to put through. Of course, I'm just going to do a big loop. That way I get back to the truck, but yeah. Yeah, the goal is to try to. I don't to know if you got enough snow. It's supposed to rain. Yeah, so. hopefully we get a little bit tonight. The problem is it's supposed to snow all day tomorrow. So if I do find a track, I can't dilly-dally because I might lose cover it. Up the, soon, it might yeah. get covered up with snow. Or I might just randomly run into a deer, which I'll be fine with too. But, Yeah. Yeah, I think starting next year, that's going to be more of a goal is that once that snow flies, try getting on, start learning tracking a lot more. Yeah. So if you can learn like Vernon did it or like the Bloods do it, yeah. Yeah. But most people push through you're too fast. Yeah. And that that's actually tough too because, yeah, you, you get all excited seeing the deer and not try to push them too far or get on too fast, which people do just tracking deer when they've wounded one. Oh, yeah. Get on definitely. the track too soon and bump it, which, again, uh, I ran into that. Well, I ran that with that doe a little bit, but fortunately, I had the hindsight to back out of there because I thought I cleaned Mr. And then I saw it started seeing a little bit of blood, mm -hmm. and it was, like, very, very, very spotty, darker blood. So I'm like, maybe, maybe it's just a flesh wound. Maybe I just... Braised winged her, her or yeah. got her in the brisket or something and then i took a few more steps and she jumps up out of her bed yeah and fortunately she fortunately she was wounded enough where she was even come like even when she jumped up she only went like 10 15 yards and stood there and was wobbling so i knew that she was hurt so i just backed out of there and yeah gave her a few more hours and then I picked up the trail again and she had looped back around basically back to the field edge total distance probably 70 yards that she made it and yeah. Piled back. She actually, she made it out into the, she stepped out into the field, which kind of got me nervous because I'm like, why is she going back out in the open? Like, she should be sticking the cover. She's hurt. All of a sudden, she made about 10, 15 yards out in the open, spun around, and went right back into the woods, and she was piled up right just inside the wood line again. Yeah, yeah I think, I think too with, with like podcasts and sh hunting shows now, they're transitioning more to like, showing more like public ant hunting and so and there's a lot of people that you know talk about how 
public land side, especially on the bow, bow hunting side, because that's what a lot more of those shows are about, that they're noticing that more and more people are getting out there and hunting more the same way, which I've even kind of ran into a little bit too of spots that I think are good. A lot of times I'll find a tree stand there. Yeah. So, so I think a lot more hunters are getting more educated on different tactics and just sit in the field edge or sitting in the, that box blind and hunting that way. So, but we'll see what, what comes of that though. I think, cause yeah, right now there's a big push for guys wanting to go out and do like DIY deer hunts. And thing is, I mean, this is what it takes to get a, to make a big buck. You need good genetics. You need good food. You need age yep. you need a good what should we call it the doe's gotta be healthy while she's carrying the buck yep and you need location yep because you can do have all this area to hunt but if you don't have the location where the big bucks feel comfortable you're not going to have a big buck. Yep. Yep. I know you'll people. Get pi- you'll get pictures if, of them at night. Yep. I know people that have like 250 acres and own it and said, we've never killed anything bigger than a six point. And we got, you know, back when you could run food, food, you know, bait piles and stuff. And still they never, because they've, they've missed one of those five things. And usually it's location, a big buck like a certain place to live yep. and as he gets older his territory usually shrinks a little bit he's not going to run five miles in every direction to breed does yep yep yeah and there and there that's the other thing too yeah they're going to be also more wiser too so you're not going to see him running all willy-nilly they're going to go to select bedding areas they're going right. to go to select areas knowing that that's where they're at so they're not going to be you know run around you know, like a chicken with their head cut off. Right, even during the rut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you take that big buck we you seen that was on the farm, what, two years ago in the snow? Yeah. Two years ago. We got, what, one picture of him. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't get a picture of him last year. Nope. And I'm pretty sure that buck we got a picture of this year was the same buck because he carries his head the same way. He's a big body deer. Carries his head... Not up high. He walks with his head like flat across his back. So where does he go? Why wasn't he there last year? Yeah. He showed up once this year. We haven't got a picture of him except for one time this year. Don't know. Yeah. A nice buck. He'd probably go 200 pounds on the hoof. Oh, yeah, probably easily. Easy. Yeah. He's a big deer. He's he's a yeah but yeah i i don't know i think i'm optimistic that i think we got him pegged oh, if he shows good. up if he shows up next year because i already know like the 7th through the 11th i'm probably gonna be down at the farm every day because that's when that's when historically that buck showed up yeah as well as i've got other good bucks not quite as big as him but certainly ones that wouldn't hesitate to shoot show up at the same time yeah and i think now with the mock scrapes i've got built and that they've been there for a few years now those bucks are checking them 
while they're there. So once they show up on the farm, they're going to run their loop through the farm. And I think, I think if I'm in the stand, as long as the wind's right, I think we can get on them. So let me ask you this question. Do you think in certain areas or different areas, certain bucks will travel a certain area at a certain time every year? Like I, maybe 10 miles down the road, these bucks will show up here about every year at the same time. Because I, I still believe that, I mean, you see a lot of big bucks killed, but I still think there's a lot of big bucks who die of old age. Yeah. Because you look, you know, mm-hmm. what's what's across the road from the farm? One of the biggest god-awful swamps I've ever seen. Yeah. I've, I've killed deer in there, and I, I don't like going in there. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a mess. As mm-hmm. big and as mess. And what that one big bear got started out of there a few years ago what 600 pound bear they chased him all the way to bear lake yeah 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 i think i think you're right i think that if they have those components that you talked about already if they have that in something like like the swamp there then they have no reason to leave it so you'll never see them out of there especially if, if they get if they find does and whatnot in that area too they have no yeah. reason to go outside they won't there. go very far if they go out they won't go very far out of there yeah and if they do, it's going to be in the middle of the night. Yeah. They're not going to leave that area during daylight. Or if they do it in the daylight, they've made a mistake. Yep. And if you're there and you do everything right, you're going to get that deer. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, <laughs> we had a snowstorm and you couldn't go that, that morning. And what, 8.30, the two does went through. And 8.33, uh, he was right behind him. Oh, yeah. That, that was heartbreaking. Because I pulled the camera just before I sat in the blind that morning. And I'm looking through the pictures like, oh, there's some toast. And then just like, oh, my gosh. So, like, I think it was like 7, 730 or something like that. It was well within shooting light. But, yeah, if I had gone out that morning, I'd have been right there. Yeah. He'd have come through. He was Ugh. like 25 yards or something? Oh, he's, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's, that's where he made a mistake and he got lucky. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, so that's what I do think that especially once they hit past like the age of two, when they've kind of found their home home area, then they start having those tendencies. So yeah, if you start seeing, you know, a buck show up at a certain time of year at a certain spot, then you should probably be there the next year, that at same that, time of year at, at that, that spot. Because yeah. more than likely he's going to show up. And I think that's what I determined with down at the farm is that that's that time that that couple day window where he's going to show up and present himself during the daytime and then otherwise he goes off to wherever wherever his main core area is and we don't see him again yeah for a year or two years yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah i do believe that too that yeah if you see a big buck do something one year pay attention because if he makes the next year there's a good chance that he'll probably do it again next year yeah Yep. Yep. So that's the goal for next year is to be there that time frame. See if I'm right. Hopefully I can be in the right spot at the right time and not screw it up. Yeah. It's, uh, they live a charm life and they're smart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so funny, too. It's like, yeah, it's like it's a game for us, but like that's everyday life for them. That's everyday <laughs> life for them. They live by their nose, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's too funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's every day. They're on guard like that. Every day, twenty four seven. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah, and they just react to the stimuli that's around them. And yeah, that's it. You mess that up. You make a mistake. You're busted. I don't know. I'm, I'm so so wrapped up in deer hunting. It's not even funny. Well, that's the way I was when I was younger. <laughs> but you know what? I quit deer hunting for five years. It's like I shot two bucks within 45 minutes. It's like I, this is not exciting anymore. Yeah. It's like, bang, I, I shot that one. Here come another one. Bang, I shot that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, I did notice a little bit of that, even from the buck this year. Like, I think I was more excited about it than you were. Yeah, it's a buck. I shot lots of buck. But this <laughs> year, you know, I told you, Ty, this year I'm going to shoot a buck. And opening day, I shot the buck. So. Got it. Yeah. But. Yeah. I've killed a lot of buck. I've been lucky. I learned how to hunt, and yeah, I've killed a lot of bucks. But before, it was like, if you, I don't shoot that six-point, you're going to cross the property line, and the neighbor's going to shoot him. So if you want venison, you shoot him. Yeah. There yep. was no letting bucks go back in those days. Yeah. Because there were a lot of hunters, and that's what it was. They, you see a buck, you shoot it. Maybe you shoot a spike horn. I've, I shot one spike, I think one spike horn. I shot some four points. I shot some five points, six points. And we always, like me, Vernon, and all, Bob Johnson, and Dick Robotham, and it's like, God, if we just get them to quit shooting these young bucks, let's put a law in it, let them grow. We have the potential to have big bucks. Finally, they did, and they did it in Leelaw County, then they spread it out to 13 County. Now you're seeing the benefits of letting these young bucks go. Yep. I was getting the pictures printed up at the drugstore the other day, and the guy sat down, and I looked over there, and he was printing out buck pictures. He goes, wow, those are nice bucks. He goes, yeah, those are a few years ago. That's when I was, like, you know, younger. And he said, this is the one I shot this year, and it's big eight, nine point, you know. This mm-hmm. is the bucks are... It's paying off that we let these younger bucks go because if a buck gets, by the time he's two years old, he's pretty cagey. Mm-hmm. You know, if he makes a mistake, you shoot him. If he doesn't make a mistake, he lives to three and four and five. Yeah, we'll see how that continues, too. The other big thing is that, again, I think they need to, I think they're doing a good job here, at least around my area, where they're doing a lot of clear cutting and cutting of timber and stuff like that because that's helping re start up new regeneration of growth and it's giving these even these big woods deer something to eat and better better habitat for them. Yeah. But like I don't know, I kind of shake my head at the the dunes where they just have all those mature trees just laying on the ground. And I mean, I understand it's a federal park and they can't they don't want to touch it or manipulate it in any way. But man, that place could be if they did some logging in there or oh yeah did some type of habitat work in there or something like that place could be really special in there right uh well you know michigan uh before the chicago fire was uh what they call a green desert oh yeah yeah there's so many white pines and nothing grew on the ground there wasn't any deer around here back then because they didn't have nothing to eat nothing to eat no cover and it was just white pine after chicago fire they stripped all this country of timber, man. All the white pines were. Then you had open areas and different hardwood trees coming up and oak trees. And But uh, like Vernon's grandfather, he was a logger back during, you know, he, he, he worked the horses. He was a horse guy. 
Okay. Yeah. And um, there was until the Chicago fire when they needed uh, lumber to uh, rebuild Chicago. This was just a, what they call a green desert. Because mm. you walk walk in a, a red pine forest when you know these big groves. Is there anything on the ground to eat? Nope. Nope. Yeah. And there's nothing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean the few standing pine, standing pine I find out in the state land. Yeah. I mean, you walk in the edge of it, you can see that there's nothing there. There's nothing around. Yeah. Right. And his grandfather held the Benthe County record for the biggest buck for, I think, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. He just a little guy, probably weighed 120 pounds. And uh, him and Leon and Jess, his sons, and I don't know how many, you know, they were going deer hunting and they ran into some guy. They stopped. The guy goes, hey, you guys uh, want to go kill a big buck? Yeah, <laughs> he goes well. Right, up, we just need a big one right up the road there. And this must have been in the 30s or something, or 40s, early 40s or something. Yeah, I think it's in the early 40s. So they put Grandpa Bailey there with a double barrel shotgun, and they went around and did a little kick, and this buck come out and stood there and looked at him, and he <laughs> shot him and and those horns were in the woodshed for. God awful many years, 20 years maybe or something like that. And the, his grand, his grandsons, you know, that's a pretty big rack in there. We better, you know, it's one of the mice didn't eat it up. Yeah. And lo and behold, there was a Benzie County record for, I think, 40 years until <laughs> in the 80s. That's funny. And this thing is, I think it's a 14-pointer and it's the A-point you got there on the wall. That's big, but this was wider and, you know, like 14 point. This yeah. huge buck, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's why I like having this one, Hugh. I mean, I scored that. That's a 125-inch rack, give or take, probably an inch or two. But that was one that great-grandpa shot back in the 40s, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's evidence that back then there were big bucks and people did get on them right yeah. in the apart. 40s there weren't a lot of people around here like you see today yeah. 40s this was like you know the guy old guy told me one time i ran into him in the 80s he talked about torch lake he said yeah i came up I, he lived downstate but his son had a carpet store and i was just in there i don't know buy a carpet or something he goes yeah got married on my honeymoon i went up to like torch lake and he said, I got back home down around Detroit. And he, he told my told my father that I could buy property on Torch Lake for 50 cents an acre. And my dad goes, well, who would ever want to live up there? <laughs> Torch Lake for 50 cents an acre? Now it's what? If you could buy an acre, it'd cost you a million dollars an acre. If you could get a whole acre, which I don't think you can. Right. So, but nobody, you know, until like Morton F started Michigan Outdoors, nobody knew what going on up here yeah <laughs> yeah you yep. i remember your grandfather i got a picture uh he's got a picture he's got a hundred brook trout on a string yeah and your great grandma's held one in your uncle bob me and depth in there I, I was too small i think it was a year old or two years old but he would say 
back then, if you went fishing and you didn't catch 50 brook trout one day, you had a bad day. <laughs> These creeks were loaded with brook trout, brown trout, but yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of people up here. Yeah. They all went, see, be, like before World War II, most people, 90% of the populations were farmers. And after World War II, it started industrializing. So a lot of people moved for the farm. They make big money in Detroit, these big cities, auto companies, different things. But when, you know, when everybody went and started moving around during the World War II, found out, hey, we can make good money in Detroit. In these big cities, a lot of people left the farm and, you know, yeah, went to the city. So in the 40s, 30s and 40s, there weren't a whole lot of people up here. Mm-hmm. And your grandfather came from North Carolina just to work on the on the lakes. Yeah. Because he grew up during the Depression. Yeah. Where you cut trees down with cross cuts and you split. You didn't have no log splitter. You split it with a double bit axe. When a deer hunt sees you on deer hunt, if you shot a bear, you canned the bear because there's no refrigeration, shot a wild hog, shot a deer, went fishing, grew a garden. When the nuts fell off the trees, you gathered nuts. Yeah. And the berries were ripe and all that. I mean, most young men, by the eighth grade, they quit school. They, they were needed at home. So Yeah. Some of them quit before that. Some of them never had an education. But, yeah, usually it was standard eighth grade you knew how to read and write and that and that's the way it was yeah <laughs> yeah it is i mean especially too with like state like michigan here is one one of the big ones too where yeah i mean hunting and fishing is is part of the state so it's just it's interesting just how how it's gone throughout the the generations and all right well this is where we're gonna pause the conversation at this point you know basically where a a natural transition kind of happens where we talked about kind of how things have been different hunting tactics i guess and our experiences going through and how we see hunting you know from our perspectives and how things have changed uh, throughout the years but the next point we get into some other issues and topics so i fear this is a good transition so if you enjoyed the conversation so far, uh, just tune in to next week when I'm able to get that the second half of the conversation released. And we basically pick up uh, kind of right where we left off, but then there was a natural transition of the topics. So you'll get into that on the episode next week. So again, if you want to hear more, just tune in next week and you'll be able to hear the rest of that. But again, that's it for this episode. As always, if you're going to still be out in those outdoors, especially if you're starting to hit that hard water, do be careful. Uh, if you're going out on that frozen water, you know, always check that ice. Make sure you're safe and have fun out there. <laughs>